the Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Cobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Simon Binney, Business Development Director at Wealth Wizards, the first purely digital independent financial advisor in the United Kingdom, whose aim is to make financial advice affordable and accessible to everyone. Simon, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I was very struck by a reference on your website to a, a study by Aegon uh, back in 2018, which said the lack of financial advice is causing enough financial stress for employees in the United Kingdom alone to cost employers £121 billion and some 18 million uh, lost working hours. I was surprised by that. Can the problem of lack of financial advice really be that big? Um, well, our view is that it absolutely is. And in fact, I think during the pandemic, it's probably grown um, uh, exponentially just because people are spending more time at home and, and people are, are struggling financially because of furlough and lockdown and all of those all of those areas. But but we see um, it's a huge problem. Yes. And I think the numbers have actually increased since that report in 2018. Um, I think there's been I read recently a 50 percent increase. Um, in the number of employees struggling financially over the last 10 years, uh, and that, as I said, has grown exponentially over the last couple of years. Um, and there's something like 25% of employees um, that we're seeing, certainly from the Maeva proposition that, that we put out through our, through our employer base, um, are actually stating in the surveys that we provide that they're struggling financially. Um, and, and that's a large part of, of, of you know, coming back to our mission that, that you very eloquently um, stated at the outset. Uh, of trying to make financial advice accessible and affordable for everyone and the workplace is a great place to start with that Um, and we're certainly finding that businesses that adopt a financial well-being program properly so not just a tick box exercise but something that's actually going to add value to employees and get them on track to a better and healthier financial future uh, and obviously then stay with the business longer and be more engaged has got to be a good thing. I'd like to come back to that workplace question a a bit later on, but just to to get our bearings a bit here. Now, finance is a a very large and complicated area. It includes basic savings products, pensions, insurance, mortgages, consumer debt, and of course, consumer spending. Uh, So what financial needs exactly is Wealth Wizards covering at this point? So um, we've always set out for it to be a very holistic um, solution because we need to meet the needs of everyone. Um, So... Um, it very much covers across the sort of two spectrums of the uh, of the, the support we give, um, both for the, the savings gap and the advice gap, in that we're supporting through direct consumer propositions and self-service propositions, um, things like debt management, mortgage, regular spending to get people back on track and, and help with their regular bills, protection cover, uh, including life cover and mortgage, death in service, those sort of areas, uh, looking for gaps where they may have them, savings, um, so around ISA and GIA, pension accumulation, consolidation for multiple pension pots accrued over many years in different workplace environments, uh, and then ultimately through to retirement and things like equity release, which is an area that we're working on at the moment. Um, And a lot of those are self-serve so that we can find out where are the areas that people are struggling um, and how can we give them assistance from a guidance perspective, um, but also a lot of them then forward straight the way through into um, streamlined advice. And if necessary, um, like a financial triage and referral service so that we can put people through to talk to experts if there's specific areas or more complex areas around maybe DB pensions or DC pensions and approaching retirement. 
Now, given the extent and complexity of what you've, you've just described, it is surprising in a way that a minority of UK citizens, I think it's somewhere between four and six million out of, I don't know, 50 million adults are actually seeking and receiving financial advice at this point. Now, what explains that? Are advisors simply not interested below a certain income or savings level? Uh, is it consumers thinking financial advice is enormously expensive, failing to see the value? Or maybe people just don't have enough money or are too reliant on a banking relationship. What explains why more people don't seek advice? Price is obviously part of it, but what else is at work? Well, I think it's a combination of all of those things that, that sort of add to a lack of engagement. Um, if we look sort of traditionally in the market, advice firms have sort of very specifically targeted high net worth clients. So I think there's, a, there's an association by... Um, if you like, regular people that um, financial advice is for, for wealthy people with sort of 250k plus to invest. Uh, and that obviously excludes a very large section of society um, who desperately need help to get them, you know, onto a, uh, onto a sort of a, a, a track for a healthier future. Um, Many advice firms still don't actively look for clients with less than £100,000 to invest. So I think marketing isn't really out there to, to help um, the masses, if you like. We're certainly finding that. Um, and we think many advice firms are probably missing a trick here. Um, quite a few reports that have come out in the last couple of years are sort of stating that more than a third of respondents are willing to take some form of automated advice just to help them get on track and, and help them see where there's areas they could they could receive some help, um, you know, to, 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 to help them get on track. Um, and a lot of people don't really understand the value of professional financial advice or indeed what, what it is, what is advice, you know, what is guidance, what's advice. So I think the sector is still very much perceived as a complex and sort of riddled with financial jargon um, where we don't do ourselves any favours. And the uninitiated sort of may not fully understand that they've not been the focus of the advice firms in the past, but I think that is starting to change um, as advice firms are starting to realise that they need to nurture the high net worth clients of tomorrow. Um, and the only way you're going to do that is being able to look after the people at the sort of the next further down the food chain, if you like. Now, you will have, you will have mapped uh, and tried to size the, the market you're addressing. Maybe 10, 12% of those 50 million adults are actually getting advice at this point. What proportion in reality do you think will, in the end, uh, purchase advice either through you or through some other party so I, th I think it sort of ties into the last uh, the last question we were discussing but you know certainly in the surveys that we've done and the surveys that we see across the market there's more than a third of people are willing to sort of pay for some form of automated advice and guidance so if we you know can assume a figure of, of sort of something like 15 to 17 million people um, and that that figure could grow significantly as word of mouth around you know benefits of advice um, and hybrid advisor propositions start to increase um, we, we think that's you know that that's easily achievable um, I think you know the, the stat that I or stats that I always come back to is that there's there's sort of around about 27,000 financial advisors in the UK um, there's about four to six million people currently receiving financial advice um, but there's about four or five million people that are willing to take financial advice from an advisor if it, if in their perception it could be seen to be more affordable and accessible um, but maybe they don't have that uh, that net worth if you like that makes them attractive so th there's a huge market out there for advice we just need to do what we've done in other industries and make it more accessible which is where we think technology plays a great part in, part in starting to promote that and get people to start receiving good solid guidance and advice.
as you say, technology is, is at the heart of what you're trying to do. In fact, you describe yourselves as a financial advice technology company. Now, how should people distinguish between being a financial advice technology company and being a robo-advisor? What's the difference in robo-advice and what you do? So, yeah, I, I think robo-advice is a, is a massively overused and misunderstood term. And it's kind of become the catch-all for all advisory products that involve any form of digital process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's not really useful, we don't think, because it doesn't accurately reflect the sort of breadth of solutions that are now available in the market, both for professional advisors and also direct to consumer. Um, so at Wealth Wizards, we prefer the terms hybrid advice uh, and intelligent automation um, because they put the integrity of our partners and the advisors at the centre of the solution, which is important. That's sort of driving everything that they do and every recommendation they make. Um, so the classic sort of robo advice, which was perceived by the advice market that is trying to replace all the advisors and it's just trying to make simplify things and it doesn't sort of cover those soft facts, is largely... Um, in, certainly in the last sort of five or six years, um, they haven't really been successful. It's been a kind of, if we build it, they will come and people don't, because it's still really important to have the advisor at the heart of the conversation. Um, even if people are being digitally onboarded and they're taking a, a sort of self-serve approach, they like to feel that there's someone there that they can talk to at the appropriate time. So I think robo-advice has been an overused term. I think hybrid um, uh, it is probably the more accurate description now that people feel more comfortable with. That I'm going to do some stuff online, which I'm used to doing other aspects of my life, but there's someone there that I can talk to that's an expert in that field and that can assist me. Well, you just explained that, that you want to work with existing financial advisors rather than seek to replace them. This is not a disintermediation story. Uh, and in fact, I think I'm right to say that your, your Turo application is distributed mainly through, through financial advisors. So an obvious question here is, has it been a challenge to persuade those advisors to use this technology, either because it's difficult to use or they're not familiar with technology or because they feel it might one day put them out of work? Has it been difficult or not? Um, so I think initially the perception was that um, there was a little bit of sort of um, scaremongery that, oh, hang on a minute, is this trying to replace us and, and you know, come up with an expert system that acts like your best advisor on their best day every day consistently? But I think people quickly realised that we weren't trying to do that. What we were trying to do is to take the heavy lifting out of the process. If you think that it can take up to sort of 35, 40 hours for an advisor to process, for example, a piece of retirement advice, a lot of that time isn't the time that they're spending talking to clients about their dreams and hopes and aspirations. It's filling in forms and it's getting quotations from from market sources and providers. Um, It's filling in fact finds. So I think once people realise that actually we're developing systems that help them to do what they do more effectively um, and spend more time doing that, which is client facing, talking about the soft facts and understanding what the the ambitions are of the customers, then um, people have been a lot more open to it. And we've certainly seen that in the last couple of years, um, that that hybrid approach, and again, I think the term robo hasn't probably helped that over the last couple of years. Now we're moving more towards a sort of intelligent automation, um, hybrid approach. Certainly we're finding that the advice firms are much more open to talking to us and the advisors um, are starting to see that the huge benefits of helping to make them much more efficient and compliant, which has got to be a good thing in a heavily regulated environment. And you use this term hybrid quite a bit. Um, you're talking about a hybrid here between um, an individual giving advice and also drawing upon 
technology. So am I am I wrong to think that the choice here is between automated advice on one hand and the analog alternative of a of a flesh and blood human being sitting in front of you? You're looking to compare those, sorry, combine those two uh, things rather than separate them or have one replace the other. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think you know we. We look at an advice business for, in two aspects, really, or two ways. We call it left to right and right to left. So the right to left is how are you servicing your high net worth clients at the moment? Um, and can we help you to become more efficient using some of our automation tools to do that? So, as I said, taking the heavy lifting out of the process. So how can we help you to um, get quotations um, immediately via integrated um, systems and pulling information in from the marketplace as you do with any sort of uh, quotation system if it's something like money supermarket we're used to using those sort of systems in, in every other part of our life um, so that you can focus not on report writing and getting quotations but on actually signing off and giving great advice and on the left to right side it's about how can we help on board customers through self-service means um, new customers into the business so that you can find out more about them we can give them some great guidance uh, and maybe streamlined advice on some sort of simplified areas such as savings, debt management, day-to-day um, -day spending and saving for their pension. Are they saving enough? Um, and then at the appropriate time, either because the customer wants to talk to you or that you've recognised that the customer um, is worth having a conversation with, and I hate to use that term, but, but it's still a reality, then it's combining those two things, which is where the hybrid nature comes in. Use the efficiency tools to make you more effective and more compliant in your day-to-day -day work on, on the, the existing client base, but help bring new customers on board digitally so that you can have that sort of meeting of minds, if you like, in the middle, whereby you're starting to talk to people at the appropriate time. Now, on that left-to-right spectrum you, you referred to, uh, you also used the word simplified. Uh, is, is, the, is a way of thinking about this that the automated part of the service can deal relatively simple financial needs and then you need to consult somebody when it gets complex uh, you're nodding so i think the answer that's probably yes but do you do you envisage that the that the automation will gradually expand into more complex needs as the technology and the data improves in other words is automated advice going to, going to you know, are we going to be advised by very intelligent robots in 20 years time um, well, I think it's important to distinguish between automation and digital advice. Um, so, as I said, automation takes the heavy lifting out of the com more complex advice processes like retirement, consolidation, DB transfer um, and, and retirement planning. So it's assisting the advisor to make a recommendation but the advisor is still at the, at, the, at the heart of that process. Whereas digital advice is enabling digital streamlined, simplified advice for areas like pension top-ups and ISA investing. So I'm already doing something. I just want to maybe add more money in or maybe set up a, um, a, a lifetime ISA or you know, a, um, a, an ISA for my daughter or my son. Um, so I think if it, where it's powered by sort of quite highly sophisticated algorithms and machine learning, Turo, our platform, can reduce the advice process time by up to sort of 68%, I think we've, we've proven at the moment. And it achieves that by self-serving and automating the key parts of that process. So it's the financial health check and making that automated and more streamlined and dynamic. Um, holistic guidance on spending, borrowing, savings, guidance that also non-advised as well as advised consolidation and retirement, because there's non-advised processes that many of our partners use as well there. Um, and triaging for full advice or telephone services, non-advised annuity broking, um, advised investment strategies. So it's combining those things. So it's, I think it's really um, 
it's starting with the simplified stuff, but helping to lead through um, through the automation um, to the more complex areas where the advisor starts to get a lot more involved in the process. Just to be absolutely clear on this point, it is possible for a user of, of, of Wealth Wizard services to receive purely automated <laughs> advice. It depends on their needs, but they could get advice from you without ever talking to a human being. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. And certainly in some of our more established partners, even on the more complex areas of retirement, um, we've got something like about 60% of people that will go through a retirement planning process without having to talk to anyone. Now, again, the advice businesses that I'm talking about have a process in place whereby they say, even if someone has gone all the way through the process to the end, we're still going to put a courtesy call in to say, are you comfortable with everything that we went through? Did it make sense? Have you got any questions? But actually, the reality is that, and certainly for some of the more simplified streamlined areas of starting an ISA or pension top ups, you absolutely don't need to speak to a human. But I think it's still important that you have the opportunity to do that if you as a customer feel uncomfortable about anything. You used the term algorithms a minute ago, so we're talking about, I suppose, artificial intelligence here, lots of data being gathered and then algorithms going to work on that to, to produce sensible outcomes and answers. On your website, you also use a, what I would think is a rather retro term, expert systems, which always reminds me of, of the 1980s, 90s, when our doctors were going to be replaced by uh, expert uh, online systems. So are you using expert systems? And if so, is that part of AI or does it have to work together with AI? What's the What's the difference? How well do these two concepts in reality work together? So I think the easiest way to describe that is that we we believe that we're a true fintech business in that we combine our own uh, FCA advice permissions. We're a regulated business ourselves with our own financial planning team and a real deep financial services knowledge um, with what we like to call world-class software engineering. So exemplary security, delivery and operational capabilities. So we think that sort of uniquely sets us apart to both sort of fully understand the needs and pain points of the clients, um, as well as working with the FCA very closely and the industry to come up with innovative solutions using technology to take that heavy lifting out of the advice process, um, which is really allowing advisors to spend more time client-facing. So the, the expert systems are in the engineering um, but uh, importantly, the more cases that you're putting through a technology-based system, the more you're learning the way that that organisation, that advice business, and across the market, how people give advice. And where maybe, which is very interesting from, from partners' perspectives, there's some great benchmarking opportunities there as well. How are you giving advice differently to maybe another section of the market or all of our other tenants? Um, and it might give you the opportunity to maybe review your advice policy to look uh, and see if it is actually in line with where you thought it was or where you want it to be. So I think, you know, it, it is a retro term, um, expert system, but still behind all of this, we have to remember, is not just our technology, but the existing systems that sit in place with the advice business already. So CRM systems, provider systems that they have to link up to, all of the workflows that they're using, all the different tools. So we have to make sure that we're combining and utilising those and integrating them effectively to make the whole thing work. Just on that narrow question, how difficult is it for the you know, hooking up to their systems? And how difficult is it for financial advisors and presumably employers as well to actually implement the technology? Is it very disruptive to their systems, very hard to integrate? So um, it doesn't have to be. Um, so uh, I, I think integration is, is a real sort of hot topic in the industry at the moment. Um, so some businesses 
have a misconception that they'll need to sort of halt the whole advice operation for three to six months while the platform is being implemented. And that definitely isn't the case. Um, we introduced Turo gradually by training a small number of advisors at a time, typically in any business that we're working with, um, and providing the efficiencies as we adapt and roll out the solutions across the business and integrate with the existing systems that they have in place. So the sort of business as usual can continue while advisors get up to speed with the platform um, in sort of small groups and at a speed that works for them. And importantly for the clients as well, we don't want to disrupt, we want to improve the client experience. So firms can adopt any number of modules at any given time um, that meet them sort of identified pain points that best meet the needs of the advice business as it evolves um, and then they can really sort of focus on how are we making our solution better gradually over time it doesn't have to be a big bang implementation um, and you don't have to throw away the technology that you spent an awful lot of money or developing over a number of years now one reason people seek financial advice of course is is tax tax treatment of, of different savings products and in this sense the government is always unhelpful they're always changing the rules even in very long-term products like like pensions, are you able to uh, build into the automated side of the business the tax treatment of different forms of investing and saving? Does it? Does it? Does it? Or does that have to rely on the on the the analog components? Is it possible to automate tax advice? So, so um, automating tax advice is quite a complex area. So that certain things that we don't touch on uh, at the moment are things like inheritance tax planning, because it's a very specialised area that you can't really automate that currently. Um, but regular tax planning in terms of what tax bracket you fall into, into what are the implications you've putting more money into a pension or an ISA, what are the allowances each year uh, to enable us to make sure that we're making recommendations or the system's making recommendations based on, based on current tax legislation that's absolutely appropriate so I think there's a differential between again as you get to some of the very complex areas of things like inheritance tax planning that's still a specialist area that advisors pick up separately but a lot of the fact finding around getting the information required to do that can absolutely be um, uh, taken on board by the system. Now, pretty clearly one of the things you're looking to do is lower the cost of advice to make it accessible to more people. One question I have is is lowering the cost enough do you not also have to sell advice and is that why you work with financial advisors and how much selling do you end up doing directly yourselves um so uh, of course there's always an element of uh, of selling involved um uh, in any process because i think you know what we're trying to show is any that financial product particularly i think well, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said, in a very, very heavily regulated environment that we work in, um, then, you know, we're looking to fundamentally change the way that we engage with people across all wealth brackets to really bridge that savings gap. So we've got to make the information available to people and show how we can help them to build a plan to get them back on track for a happy and stable financial future. So I think one of the key areas there is the utilisation of available data that's absolutely key to achieving that, which, again, we do in other areas of our lives, but tend not to have, have done very successfully in financial planning. So there's a trend towards more and more data, uh, whether it's generated by consumers themselves engaging with different apps and, and software or combining that with open banking and open data sources uh, like pension dashboard. That's going to bring more and more volumes of useful data that will help us to engage better with clients, sell to them, if you like, in a more meaningful way. Um, but it's how we manage and process that data that's going to be absolutely key to addressing both the advice gap and the savings gap and making 
truly making guidance and advice affordable and accessible to everyone and giving something back you know it's no one likes to be asked lots and lots of questions almost like it's a mori poll on a fact find if you don't feel you're getting anything back well why are you asking me my national insurance number why are you asking my date of birth why do you want to know whether i'm married or not so i think that's where the tools come in really well because people are used to interacting with gamification and we're able to build that into the technology so that we're actually finding out very non-invasive initial information about people giving them something back to help them then they feel more comfortable about um, giving us a bit more information because they can see that they're getting something back and that's a process that i don't think has been done very successfully in the past in the uh, more sort of manual way of giving advice if you like face to face and it's something that technology can help with hugely yeah well, now, talking of uh, of understanding people's uh, positions talking of selling you mentioned this earlier that employers are quite an important group of distributors for you, if you like. Now, they obviously provide pensions. They sometimes provide health insurance and other forms of life and uh, personal insurance. Um, they provide employee benefits of various sorts and terms on share options and so on. So they're actually, uh, potentially, I assume, a very interesting distribution network for you. Uh, and I noticed you offer um, an application, I hope I pronounced this correctly, MyAva, uh, as, as an employee benefit. So how important are employers as distributors of what you're doing relative to doing it directly or with or with the IFAs? Yeah, so so uh, it's my Eva, actually. Um, and, and all my Eva is, my Eva could be her sister, uh, but all all, uh, all my Eva is, is a brand that we use. So we have our own advice permissions, as I said, and we think it's really important that we eat our own lunch, if you like, in that we prove that the systems work by using them ourselves under our own advice permissions and we work very closely in the sandbox with the fca to achieve that um, before we go out and, and and with the main part of the business as you correctly correctly identified earlier and say right you should be using this technology in your advice business um, we're not just a technology company and that comes back to my point about us being a true fintech so we're doing it ourselves as well um, and we do that through um, a small group of about 50 or 60 employers who've got about um 60 70,000 employees and it's really extremely important um, that we engage with with the employers there as they're the gatekeepers to millions of employees in the UK alone who desperately need financial guidance and advice and most of the surveys we talked about at the outset of this uh, session um, about the workplace and people needing financial advice we get most of that information through industry reporting from the workplace so the great benefit that we can bring to the employer as the gatekeeper um, is the wealth of MI that Maeva proposition or Turo digital proposition provides on employees varying financial situations um, always complying with DPA rules so we're not giving away information back to the employer about individuals but it shows demographically uh, and across on a needs basis how employees are using the service to build a financial plan, where they're struggling. Um, you know, for example, a great piece of MI that we get out of Maeva um, across those sort of 60,000 employees is all the employers automatically assume that everyone's biggest problem is debt. And actually, it's not debt. Uh, that, that comes quite a long way down the uh, down the rung. It's actually things like day-to-day -day spending, protection, am I saving enough for my retirement? Um, have I got an emergency fund if the boiler blows up? So it's great MI that we give back to the employer um, for a true financial well-being proposition so that it helps them to, to understand and focus on where do we need to be spending our, our marketing HR spend to best help our employees because now we're starting to understand their needs in a lot more detail around financial planning. 
you're really a data business as well. You're, you're giving benchmarking back to the to the financial advisors. You're giving uh, advice about em, the, the real status of employees back to back to employers. Interesting. Which is something that's never happened really in the financial services sector, but happens everywhere else. You know, and and that's that's absolutely key. Everyone always wants to know in any business in any sector. Okay, how am I doing? But but how how does what I do differ from what other people that are perceived to be the same as me do? Whether that's an individual um, or whether it's a company, it's really important to have that uh, that that um, benchmarking data. Yeah, there's 50, 60 employers that you're you're working with. You've described them as, as gatekeepers, but I push you a bit further on that. Inside the company itself, who is the gatekeeper? Are you is your point of sale, if you like, the HR department? Is it the finance director? Or is it somebody else? So uh, with the Maiva workplace proposition, it's it's definitely HR and the people function who are the gatekeepers. Um, whereas when we're working with financial advice businesses, it tends to be led by the kind of head of business transformation, head of advice, head of digital or the chief commercial officer. Um, so it, it, there's different people, whether we're working with an employer or whether we're working with an advice business, definitely. Now, had these um, talking of employers, these workplace pension schemes now for, for some years, and they're, they're getting going. Is that an area that Wealth Wizards is interested in in administering and managing? It you know, it could be a very large, high volume business. Is that a target market for you or not? Absolutely not. No, I mean our 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 stated, um, if you like, ambition uh, and and business plan is to basically interact with the top 100 advice firms in the UK and that covers tier one banks it covers advice businesses wealth management companies um, to help them service their client bases we're not looking to compete with them Um, as I said we have um, a small workplace operation one because um, the two of the original founders of Wealth Withers um, ran um, uh, uh, an IFA practice in Guildford in Surrey called Opal Benefits and that naturally became a part of the business because it had its own uh, regulated um, IFA permissions um, and as I said we use that very much as a, a as a test bed to test out the technology with those limited employers we're not looking to go wholesale into the employer market because we're working with some of the very largest employee benefits consultancies so we'd be kind of competing with ourselves there which uh, which never goes down well uh, when you've got that sort of channel conflict so no it's very much used as a as an R&D facility rather than a, a, as a wholesale operation to take on the the market. So you won't be getting involved in helping employers deal with these other regulatory demands they, they face. I'm thinking here particularly of ESG reporting, and they have to report to the pension beneficiaries uh, how the fund is being run in line with environmental considerations. So you're not involved in that either. Well, so again, in our regulated business, we are because we've got our own investment committee, which we have to have, where we discuss regulatory demands on the employers that we that we deal with directly. Um, ESG is really topical right now, uh, and we're reviewing all providers, looking at their sort of net zero target and their carbon emissions target, etc. And so, clearly, again, we're, we're because we're we're um, we're kind of doing that ourselves as a small regulated business. We use that insight. Um, as a benchmark, again, for the customers and the other wealth businesses and, and advice businesses that we work with, and also as a feedback to those to those clients too. So we're absolutely sharing that information, but we're not sort of setting our, ourselves up to say, you know, we're the, um, you know, uh, we're, we're the, 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 the um, sort of be all and, and, and end all knowledge-wise and the thought leaders in that, in that space, but, but we're sharing any information we do gather definitely. 
Now, we've talked about, uh, about advisors, we've talked about employers as distributors, but consumers can also uh, use Juro directly. Um, and does that bother your other two distribution networks? Does it bother employers? Does it bother advisors that people can simply go to a website and, and get the advice directly? So the only way that consumers um, can access um, our technology is through one of our partners' websites. So it would have to be through an advice business's website. So we don't have a direct consumer proposition ourselves labelled Wealth Wizards. We've got the small workplace operation under the Myeva brand, as I said, that we use as a test bed. Any other direct consumer propositions are always um, labelled and branded through our partners' website. So uh, there's no direct access to consumers that, that, that we take on, no. Now, in May this year, Wealth Wizards was acquired by My Royal London. Has being owned by, you know, quite a large, well-known pensions investment company, is that consistent with your goal of providing uh, independent advice, albeit in digital form? So, um, previously, um, Wealth Wizards was 70% owned by Liverpool Victoria. Um, who, which is another mutual business, um, and 30% owned by the business. So actually, we don't see it as being a massive change in terms of being um, acquired by Royal London, apart from we're wholly owned by Royal London now. Um, but, but I think really importantly, we remain an autonomous and completely independent business. Um, so we're assisting Royal London in their digital ambitions, which is part of the reason that they acquired us, because they felt they were a bit behind the curb there. Um, but actually... Um, when we were looking that, um, you know, LV decided this wasn't the direction that they were going in longer term, um, then um, we were looking in the market saying, OK, so who are we going to be most closely aligned to? Who shares the same sort of vision as us? Who's got the same sort of ambitions? And Royal London was, was definitely um, right at the top of that list because they're a very supportive business of the advice market. Um, so we haven't had any um, backlash if you like from advisors saying oh you're owned by Royal London now that you know that's gonna that's gonna sort of cast a different light on whether we can work with you or not and I think already in the sort of um, seven or eight months that we've been owned by them um, certainly our existing clients uh, and the prospects that we're working with and engaging with are seeing it as a very positive move and also a safe place for us to be with significant investment from that business to make sure that we're going to be here for the long term too to support them. You haven't had to change your sales or distribution strategy at all as a result of the purchase? Absolutely not. No, no, we, we remain exactly on track with where we were before. Um, Royal London are very supportive uh, of uh, our product roadmap over the next sort of three to five years. Um, and as I said, you know, they're very interested um, in uh, accessing elements of that as well to sort of realise their digital ambitions. Um, but yeah, that, that's working with them very much as a key client rather than them dictating how we develop or distribute our solutions, uh, which is a great, you know, a great partnership as far as we're concerned. And why, by the way, did Liverpool Victoria not decide to buy the other 30%? Well, I, I think anyone that knows, um, you know, anything in detail about the market at the moment will know that LV is kind of moving in a slightly different direction uh, than when they initially invested in us, which was about seven years ago. Um, it's now sold its savings retirement and protection business um, to a private equity firm. Um, and that was Bain Capital. And, and they don't have plans for an automated or hybrid advice proposition. Um, they're looking more around the sort of general insurance area. So as I said, that was when we sort of decided, right, OK, um, we need to actively look at who can take us to our next stage of growth. Liverpool Victoria, importantly, remain a key client of ours and are still using our solutions um, for their retirement proposition uh, with their telephone based retirement team, uh, which we see as a very positive thing. So they've remained a customer and a very important customer of ours. 
I've asked you this already, but I'd like to ask it again, because I think it's a very fascinating question. Do you, as you look ahead, over whatever time scale you like, do you think the need for human experts, the flesh and blood financial advisor, is going to fall away? So, I mean, as far as we're concerned, absolutely not. I think the advisor and their human capacity to be able to understand, as I said earlier, the softer facts and requirements, um, the sort of deep set needs and feelings of the client, um, the advisor has to stay at the centre of that um, to give great advice. Uh, our job is to support them and, and make them able to achieve that in the most effective way possible. Uh, you know, from a client perspective, who feels the same pain points in the process as the advisor, and for the advisor who has more quality time building that relationship with the client, focusing on the objectives and dealing with the more complex advice areas as they, are need, uh, uh, as they arise, um, as I said, such as retirement, tax planning, um, consolidation, equity release, DB transfer. Um, our job is to help free up that advisor, but absolutely keep them at the centre um, of the customer relationship. And I think people are always more comfortable talking to people, experts, if you like, in their field about their financial future. It's some of the biggest decisions uh, and most important decisions you're going to make in your life. So we never see a time where the human expert will fall away, no. Now, your technology eats a lot of data. A minute ago, I, I accused you of being a, a data business as well as a technology business. Now, you've given us a flavour of uh, how you obtain data about employees from the employers that you work with. What about financial advisors? Uh, how comfortable are they sharing sufficient data with you for the machine to do its job? Um, so uh, th this, initially, there was a lot of reluctance. Um, uh, again, for the same sort of deep-seated fears, I think, that you know, if we give too much away, you're going you're to completely fundamentally change our business. Um, but, but actually now, it's become... As I said, I think that the, the disconnected advisor desktop world of technology has become such a big issue of um, so many organisations have all these different parts of technology that they're using in their business that don't talk to each other, um, that actually now it's more of a cry for help to say, how can you help us to tie this whole piece together so that we can work more effectively? Um, so we're finding that people are giving us you know, very open access to their existing systems um, and almost on the back of a cry for help to sort of say, how can you help us to make this process much more efficient and effective? You know, if you look at the sort of stats that sit around uh, the way advisors are using technology at the moment, um, they've typically got something like 18 to 25 different systems that don't talk to each other, that don't share information in real time, um, that Data, customer data is being rekeyed into different systems on average three times across an advice process. Then there's a huge issue there um, with, with, with time, with efficiency, with compliance and consistency, which we can actually help them um, to bridge. So uh, I think now, actually, we're seeing certainly in the last year or so, um, advice businesses are much more open um, to sharing uh, that information with us and uh, as i said as a cry for help say how can you help us to make this process a lot more efficient sharing it through apis absolutely two-way apis um so you know if you think of a typical journey we're not saying to an advice business you need to get rid of your crm system and just use our technology now we're saying you know which crm system do you use you know are you with salesforce are you with microsoft dynamics are you with Inteleflow? are you with iris um and how do we need to integrate so that we can pull information through into our fact find and uh, advice engine if you like that we've developed process it 
fill that information out with the more data that the details that the advisor and planner is getting from the customer and then importantly feed it back into those existing systems to to make sure that we maintain them as the, the main source of truth um, so it, it's right across crm investment and product platforms quotation systems We've, we're putting in real-time quotations from iris um, for example x plan so you know that that's that's really key to help make that um, process more efficient and take out some of the manual <laughs> time-consuming interfaces that are there at the moment that that mean that uh, data has to be rekeyed a number of times. Um, so the only area I guess that we're seeing some resistance is from providers who still require wet signatures for things like um, letters of of authority. Um, but even even there, we're making great strides in, in in kind of moving that towards a more seamless digital process to to bring down that time and uh, and, uh, and efficiency in the advice process. And you're taking in and processing uh, customer data. You're doubtless being regulated under the GDPR. But how many other ways are you regulated? How many regulators do you have to deal with in a business of this type? So um, it's not as complex as you, as you may think. So, you know, we've got two parts to our business. Wealth was it's limited, um, which is uh, sort of where we're working with the advisors, uh, which isn't a regulated business. So that's company-wide services where we promote our Turo platform and the Turo sales. But the Wealth Wizards Benefits Limited, which is our regulated business, um, which is regulated by the FCA. So that's authorised and regulated um, by the FCA. And, and so we have to, you know, as any advice business, um, we have, you know, regular checks and, and discussions with them to make sure that, that we're managing that business in the appropriate way. I guess... What, what adds a slightly different angle to it is because we're using that as a benchmark, if you like, to say, okay, this is how we're doing it and the FCA is comfortable with that. So therefore we can help you to, to adopt some of these solutions. There's a slightly different relationship, you know, tripartite relationship between us, um, the advice businesses and the FCA, but that's more in a sort of consultancy capacity um, to help them um, to realise what their you know, digital ambitions are. And what's your commercial model? How do you get paid? Are you taking ad valorem fees on assets or transaction fees or both or neither? So um, the way that we, we've set the, the commercial model up is quite a simple, uh, and we've tried to keep it a simple model that's sort of based on shared risk and success with the partners we work with. So there's initial work, obviously, to amend and configure the platform to suit the needs of that advice business, and that's charged on a day rate you know, for customization, it's focused really on minimizing any commercial barriers to how do, how do you want to use the system differently to the way that we use it, if you like. So we've got our, what you could call vanilla, uh, which is set up to our advice policy and permissions. Um, how do you want to do it slightly differently? But once the system's set up in that way, as you'd have with any technology solution, uh, then it's based on um, paying for each advice case as it's delivered. So every time a piece of advice goes through the system and generates a suitability report, um, there's a charge. Um, and that can range anything from very simplified um, advice from sort of as little as sort of £10 that we would charge to the advice business that's using that technology, up to if it's something more complex, like a DB transfer, it could be up to sort of £350 a case. Um, and as I said, that's that, 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 um, depends very much on the complexity of the case and the volumes of cases being written because um, the monthly costs um, we have are set up for um, minimums, if you like, and maintenance and, uh, uh, and um, hosting because we're hosting an environment for that particular client. Uh, but then it's really about volume. The more advice that you put through the system, the cheaper each case costs. Um, and uh, 
We haven't really been pulled towards BIPs charges, although we're open to doing that if it's more appropriate to certain of, of, uh, advice businesses. Um, but we found that the, the case charge seems to be a lot um, a lot more popular at the moment because it's a fixed cost uh, and that comes down at volume. So that, that seems to be working well for us in the market currently. Mm-hmm. Now you, you're going down one path in the marketplace for your, your new friends at Royal London. LV, as you explained, has gone down in a different direction to, into the general insurance market. What are the underlying secular trends in the in the UK market, which, which you and your financial advisor and employer clients have to adapt to? What are you doing to make sure you stay in line with or even ahead of those? trends those secular trends so i think certainly as an advice business sort of first and foremost um we we'd kind of like to see both the government sector and and the sector as a whole working harder to promote financial advice and the profession uh, certainly to the younger generation and to graduates so that we've got healthy supply of financial advisors for the future um we do kind of see a gradual opening up of the financial advice market to more people through digital and automation platforms like we're promoting um we think the fcr fca policy and guidance could be a lot clearer on how firms should engage with clients via digital platforms um you know the government's got a vested interest in encouraging more people to take up properly administered financial advice and save for a more comfortable retirement and and really digital can be the driver to make that happen. Um, we think the more dynamic advice firms will utilise technology at sort of both ends of the wealth scale uh, by attracting new sort of lower net worth clients with simplified advice and financial planning and wellbeing platforms. Um, on the more complex side, um, we can certainly see firms taking on a more hybrid approach uh, for the whole advice process. They spend less time on the laborious time-consuming tasks and more time on understanding clients' short and longer-term goals and aspirations and build much longer-lasting relationships. Um, from our own proposition, um, our aim is really to continually align the evolving needs of advice into our technology um, so that we can continue to offer advisors and their clients highly personalised advice um, and a great overall client experience. And really importantly, and I don't think this gets enough emphasis, it, it's about that 100% compliant approach. Let's make sure that all the advice that's being generated, whether it's hybrid or digital um, in, in its entirety, is consistent and compliant so that it, it is like your best advisor on their best day giving advice all the time. Now, digitalization can affect the underlying instruments that you invest in as well a world in which you bought equities bonds and funds is giving way to one in which you might buy tokenized equities <laughs> um, bonds and, and funds we've also got of course cryptocurrencies like like bitcoin and, and ether we've got these non-fungible tokens um, to what extent are these developments playing a part in your planning to support financial advisors in particular so um, obviously, you know, the whole area of crypto is, is a huge area uh, that's being debated constantly. I think, you know, there seems to be a webinar every week in, in our sector. We've had a few ourselves, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I watched yours the other week, yeah, which was very interesting about cryptocurrencies, sort of NFTs, as you say, and security tokens. And it's So um, for the advice that we provide, um, we don't, we don't really get involved in that, either an advice business or, or giving advice at the moment. We're watching that, that area as closely as everyone else. You know, it's a very volatile area. It's still unproven. But, but importantly, it's becoming a significant part of, you know, even from an institution perspective, um, an important part of, the, of their overall investment strategy. So, but we really see it as a very specialist 
advice area. Um, and we don't have a policy on that currently. We're watching the market very closely. Uh, we understand that, that, that you know, everyone's looking for, for answers uh, and a future direction on it, but we're watching it as closely as everyone else. But currently we don't have a policy on, on, on crypto. Now, if I was to summarize as a final question for you, uh, Wealth Wizards is uh, providing automated services to, uh, to financial advisors, to employers, and indeed through financial advisors to consumers. Um, indirectly, if you like. Now, is the place you're actually in now very different from the place that the, the founders expected to be in when they set the business up um, all those years ago, I think back in 2009? Are you in a different place to what you expected? Um, so I, I think the simple answer is probably not really, but I think that the reality is that um, certainly from, from the founder's perspective, so um, Andrew Firth, our CEO, and Tony Vale, our chief information officer, who are two of the founders uh, that are still with the business. Um, I think the only area we're probably, um, we've ended up slightly differently is that it, that it hasn't moved as quickly as we all hoped it would in terms of, uh, of the, the advice sector, really grasping technology and embracing it and, and helping it to achieve um, financial advice and guidance accessible and affordable to everyone. I think the focus has probably um, been slightly too much still on um, the existing advice markets, high net worth clients, and, uh, and from an advice business perspective, you know, which, which is understandable if you're running that business, how can I actually do this more effectively and do more of it um, so I think the only thing that's lagged a little bit uh, from our perspective is that um, we haven't got to the point yet where we are truly making financial advice accessible and affordable to everyone. We're making great inroads, but it's not moving as quickly as the market and, and as, uh, as, uh, as you know, the, all of our potential client base needs it to. So I think the focus certainly for us over the next couple of years is, okay, we've got some great tools we've developed now. We've built some great efficiencies. We've proven the model. We're helping advice businesses be more efficient, compliant, consistent. Now we need to really use the power of this technology to onboard all of the masses of clients that desperately need financial help um, that haven't been serviced um, in the past. And that's really our focus. So nothing's changed. You know, the ambition, our focus, it was always to make financial advice and guidance accessible, affordable to everyone. Um, and, you know, we're looking at as many routes to market as we can to help achieve that. Um, so the focus hasn't changed. We just really need things to speed up now so that we can start really getting some focus on that lower end of the market. I said that was my last question, but something you've just said prompts a thought <laughs> in my mind. There, there are 27,000 financial advisors out there. I think that was a number you, you yes. gave. How on earth do you get around that many businesses? So many different shapes and sizes in so many different parts of the country. So, so the interesting thing is that um, actually, if you break down those 27,000 advisors, um, then I, I think it's something like about 60 or 70% of them actually um, are affiliated with probably about 30 or 40 of the very big advice firms. Um, so, you know, if, if you take, I think, something like St. James Place and Quilters and Succession and, and a few of the sort of headline advice businesses, um, they've got something like 25 or, you know, 20,000 advisors between them. Um, the, the tough part for us is, it, you know, we're engaging with those businesses, which is great. Um, the tough part for us is how do we get access to the IFA market? 
Um, and certainly one of the areas, and you're right, we can't get around and talk to, you know, five or six thousand one, two, three man band IFAs. It's just not practical for us or for them. And also the cost of adoption of a technology solution like ours hasn't been financially viable for them to this point. So the way that we're looking to address that is through significant distribution and partnership opportunities um, with some of the, for example, CRM providers and other sort of key um, stakeholders in the in the wealth and advice process to see how we can sort of come together and, and join a um, join up a, a distribution relationship that absolutely makes this technology accessible to the smaller IFA market. Simon Binney, thanks very much for taking the time to tell us about Wealth Wizards. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.